But as, as we get into this scripture, um, if you've been following our series in John's Gospel, this is the one that doesn't seem to make sense at first. So last week, if you were here, we were talking about Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. And it made sense because it came just after this most incredible miracle. There was Jesus one day, and uh, he's preaching all day and healing the sick and so forth. And his disciples come to him and they say, look, there's not enough food for all these people. There's literally a crowd of 5,000 blokes. Let's imagine normal ratio in religious services, even more women, <laughs> tons of children. They're there. And he feeds them with just five loaves and uh, a few fish. And, and then he calls himself the bread of life. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because he's fed them. And here in this passage, we've got, I am the light of the world. And you're like, well, what does that mean? What does that refer to? And it turns out it refers to something uh, that Jesus was at. He was camping in the Festival of Booths. I think we've got an image of, of that to come on the screen. The Festival of Booths. And the Festival of Booths happened just outside Jerusalem. And it was a week-long event where people remembered that their people had been wanderers in the wilderness. And so every year, they'd leave their creature comforts and go for what was actually their favorite holiday of the year. Uh, it was new wine for the first century, those of you who know what that means. And they'd go and camp in their, in their little set-up communities, and parties went on until dawn each day, because it was a festival of the harvest. So they were partying through the night uh, for seven whole nights going on. And then when the sun rose, something spectacular happened. The priests would go to, to the temple, and the, so the temple was there all lit up. This is the party going on in the, in the middle of the night. The priests would go to the temple, put their backs to the rising sun, their backs to the rising down, sun, and they would bow down to God present in the temple and proclaim that God was mightier and more worthy than the the light of the world, the sun. And you know from your basic GCSE biology, don't you, that the, the, the sun is the light of the world. It gives us not just the, the fact that we can see, but it also gives us life itself, photosynthesis. Remember that word? I, I doubt you can remember the equation, can you, from when you were 15? Who can remember the equation from when they were 15 for photosynthesis? I, I, I can't do it. My kids are going through school. Um, but everything that we have comes from this. Yeah, the Jewish people had clocked that their God was not the sun. He was, as Dennis Adidi, our previous curate, used to say, the sun, moon, and star maker. You don't worship a created thing. You worship the creator forever praised. Amen. So he bowed down before him. So this is the context. This is the radical context. Everyone's there. The whole country is there at the Feast of Tabernacles. They're camping away. They're reveling through the night. It's a proper full-blown party. And then Jesus gets up and goes, I am it. I am the light of the world. It's an unmistakably pretentious claim if it's false. It's actually what you might call an aggravating hate crime in today's world. It's taking on an entire religious system and saying your system's wrong because I am the center of your religion. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've ever been to those sort of RE classes at school where they're like, what do people make of Jesus? And, and some people go, oh, he was just a good teacher. And like, you know that anyone who's ever thought that has never read a single thing that Jesus has said. Because as you go through John's gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the bread of life. Unless you eat my flesh, you can have not have everlasting life. I am the light of the world. And then just simply, I am the 
which is the name for God. This is not a man who claimed to have some moral teachings. This is a man who claims to be the center of everything, not just the center of humanity in this planet, but the center of all creation itself, the sustainer of creation. I am. I am the light of the world. And understandably, as you look through the passage, people want to kill him. Uh, the religious leaders of the day, the, uh, you know, the Richard Moyes of the day, uh, challenge him saying, here you are. You're appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. And Jesus says, look, even if I testify just on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it's written that the testimony of two or three witnesses is true, or two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. The other witness is God, my Father, who sent me. It's such a radical claim. He's like, I'm telling the truth because God says so. <laughs> he backs up what I'm saying. They say, well, where's your father? And he says, you don't know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And he spoke these words while teaching in the, if we have that on the screen again, on the temple courts, right there in the middle of the extraordinary temple in Jerusalem. Anyone been to that, the remnant of the temple at the Wailing Wall? You see these blocks that are, each, each brick is about this big. It's just enormous, this massive, massive temple. He's there and he says, I'm it. I mean, architecturally, it's hard to stand next to it and think you're important. It's so massive. And he says, I'm the center of all these things. I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. And, and this is the claim that goes with it. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. See, I don't know about you, but we live in a moment in history when, when I flick on my social media feed or my news or whatever, I'm pretty aware of the darkness at the moment, yeah? Are you aware of that at the moment? Darkness is, is well, it, it sells on our media. It sells on our news. Uh, there's no news like bad news for selling a paper. But it's also a reality, isn't it? There is darkness in our personal lives, in our hearts as well. But in the, the bigger scale, there's darkness all around. And actually, in this life, Jesus says, you will have troubles. But take courage, I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. And right at the beginning of John's gospel, it, it says this. And this is what we who have gone to carol services know from, from age old. It says, in the beginning was, was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Remember those words? Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made, that's through Jesus. In him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, however bad things get, when this light, when this Jesus is there, darkness cannot overcome it. He goes on to talk about a man called John, who was sent from God, who came as a witness to testify about the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And then it says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming in the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but they did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, this life, this light of the world, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children 
of God, not born of natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, this bright light of Jesus comes into the world, not like a candle, like a little tiny candle flickering in the darkness so much, but of something more fundamental and glorious than the sun itself. I am the light of the world, he's saying, I'm bigger than the sun, I'm more glorious than the sun. And end of the story, the Bible says that one day every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. I suppose one of the nicest things that can happen to us in our human life is if we get to the point where we realize we can't do life on our own. Um, I, I don't know what your experience is in the baptismal party, but uh, having kids did that for me. <laughs> you know, there have been various things that have humbled me in my life, but changing a nappy of a screaming few month old uh, where, where I could only get her quiet if I put the hoover on next to her, that, that was a sort of a humbling thing. I've just driven through the night for two out of the last three nights uh, and actually, I've had 14 years of good training for that, bringing up three children. <laughs> Sleep deprivation is my normality rather than my, uh, my thing. And one of the things that you have when you get a precious little kid to look after is a sense of, crikey, where did that come from? I mean, sometimes you look at it and you're like, you know, <laughs> whatever, I don't want to drop it, but you know. Um, but other times you're like, oh my goodness me, this is staggering. But it's beyond me. How can I protect a child in a, in a world like this? How can I look after a kid in a world like this? There's darkness that we're all aware of and darkness that's touched us. And, and frankly, as parents, there's darkness in us that we think we've got to protect the kid from as well when they've been screaming all night long and you just want to chuck them down on the sofa or something. You're like, we get through it, don't worry. Um, then you get the teenagers, which I'm, I'm just sort of... <laughs> I'll tell you about that when I've got through those ones. <laughs> but one of the great graces is to go... You know, I can't do this. I need a bigger source of strength. I mean, imagine a green plant without the sun. How long would it last? And that's a great picture of us without God, who sustains all things, the true light of the world, without Jesus. Now, you may, some of us, not have been aware that he's been sustaining you all your life long. You may not have realized he's been shining. Of course, many people in places like for example, Scotland, haven't realized that the sun's been looking after them all their life either. The clouds come over, don't they? And apart from that week in August when you get the, the breakthrough, you don't realize the light of the world is there. But God has always been there. Jesus has always been there and always been shining. I, I went to see uh, Ukraine borders this week with a friend of mine from school who, um, well, he'd been living in Kiev. He was a really successful businessman, a million, millionaire businessman, invested in six different businesses, and they've all just been taken from him. He's had to flee with his wife and his young girl, Sophia. She's just a few months old. Back to the Isle of Wight, which is a bit of a culture shock after living in a major city. Um, and, and we traveled back together. And on, on my blog, which is, is coming up, um, if, if you'd like to look at it, you can, you can look at it for, for yourself. There's this amaz amazing story that he tells on the ferry back from uh, Calais to Dover. And he talks through the journey that we've been on. And it's, it's on the, uh, the uh, Lessons Learned uh, blog up there. It's uh, yournameislikehoney.com if you want to look it up. Um, if you've got to look it up during the talk, you're welcome to. Um, but he, he says, you know, there we are. And we arrive at Hanworth to pick up the stuff at exactly the same time, despite the fact that there's 
um, train muck-ups for him en route. We've got a minibus from Chiswick School, which I've just tweeted them to say, could I borrow it the day before? And they'd allowed us to have their uh, 2020 minibus, Peugeot minibus, for, for free. And they'd even put goods in it when I arrived to pick it up that they'd collected the previous day. Um, we get there and Ukrainians fill up the minibus with stuff from in Hanworth. It's full of Ukrainians filling it up and you've never seen a minibus parked so, packed so tightly. In fact, when we had to stop with this sort of RAC guy in Belgium, we said, you do realize you're never going to get this van through Germany. <laughs> if, they, if they see how low this van is, you're going to get a thousand euro fine and be stopped. So he pumped some more air in the tires and helped us to keep going. It talks about how when we got to Dover, I mean, I'm there in a dog collar and we've got a school minibus, but the police are like, oh, you're off to Ukraine. Through you go, through you go. And so cheering us on our way, how as we're driving along, the AdBlue system, which is this funny thing uh, that goes in a diesel thing, started, started to fail. And it said, you've only got 200 miles left of driving before you won't be able to turn the engine back on again. And this is like 7.30 at night uh, going through Belgium. And, and we stopped when we realized that we're not going to get much further at a service station where the, in the Flemish part of Belgium where the service attendant is the only one in that particular area we met who spoke English uh, perfectly. And he phones up the RAC for us. They arrive within 25 minutes. Uh, and this lovely guy called Wesley um, resets the computer, which resets the AdBlue system, but he says it's going to fail um, on your journey again. It's just it's going to cock up. So um, what, what are you going to do? And we were like, well, we can't really go back. Um, we're going to... I, we're just going to have to keep going and trust and pray, and, we, and that's what we do. Um, and we fill up just before we get to the, um, the, the cock-out point, uh, 20 miles to go left on the gauge, and we realize that to fill up, we have to put a key in the fuel thing, which means we have to turn the engine off. At that point, we're like, oh, my goodness me, we can only go another 600 miles. This isn't going to work. Um, and people are praying for us, and Dan has this brainwave. I wonder if they sell a fuel cap. <laughs> so he puts a fuel cap on. And we keep the engine running all the way to Krakow Peugeot Garage, uh, 700 miles later. Um, and then whenever we stop, we, uh, we carefully keep the engine on, remind each other not to touch the key, uh, and keep going at 100 kilometers an hour uh, down these straight roads through with God just carrying us on the wing of a prayer to the Peugeot Garage, which we ring ahead to um, through a Polish, tra Polish translator that we've connected to. And they say it's going to take two or three days to repair the thing. At which point we get there, a dog collar, minibus, school minibus, a guy comes out and says, actually Fiona texts and I say, pray that this gets done in soon, we need to get going, we need to get to the borders. And, and they repair it within minutes. It's absolutely staggering, for free, for free at this garage. We carry on, are able to unload to para, paratroopers who are going to smuggle stuff over the border to help people behind the thing. We then fill up at a supermarket, but we let the Ukrainian translator with us guide us as to what to buy. So it's stuff that was actually helpful because she's only crossed over the border three days previously, taking 30 hours to get over. She's smiling her head off because she's able to help and put back and bless people. Uh, we're using a, a card that someone's given us in church to enable us to keep doing all these transactions going through. Uh, we, we unload then at the border where suddenly we've got no 4G and Dan's due to be on the BBC News a few minutes later. So we come back inland, suddenly work out that we could tether two of the phones together, tether the phones together, broadcast to the BBC just before the snow starts falling, and our, our fingers are shaking away. I have all sorts of people galvanized back home. I've just literally had a text from people saying, we'll, we'll put up free, um, we'll put up free refuge, um, free displaced people. We call them displaced people, not refugees. So displaced people um, in our house. People who've just seen the story on social media, and there's a way you can do that now. It's on our 
on our church uh, Facebook and other forums. We'll, we'll get that out to you. And it's just it's so exciting to see. But on the way back, we pick up 12 people, uh, three children, 12 adults, three children and a cat. Um, and we're dropping them off all over northern Europe from Warsaw to Hanover to Eindhoven. And one of them, a beautiful little girl called Sophia, gets given a teddy bear knitted in the Isle of Wight by a granny who knows Dan, my, my colleague, and she gets it in her hand to hold on to because the granny said what they need is someone who will talk, they can talk to who won't talk back to them <laughs> and just look after them. The sweetest girl, we drop her off in a beautiful suburb in Hanover with her, with her grandmother and, and with her mother there as well. And, another in, and, and two of the girls, though, stop at a hotel in Berlin, which currently aren't accepting Ukrainian um, displaced people in the first 10 days after COVID. Um, because they're red countries. And we get there, and I, I think Fiona's German. It's fair to say that Germans aren't renowned for bending rules too much, are they? <laughs> I think that's probably fair to say. Anyway, this, this guy on the desk allowed us to buy two hotel rooms for these girls so that they could stay and sleep over. And we saw again and again these incredible miracles. And that happened just after Nicola phoned up, um, and we said, just pray we can get them in. And we got them in. A miracle after miracle. And Dan, who started the journey, like, not sure what he believed. By the time he was on the ferry on the way home, he's basically saying, there is a light of the world. <laughs> and it's great. And this trip's forced me to believe in it. This is a guy who's just lost millions of pounds worth of businesses. <laughs> I'm not bothered about that. I can see that there's a purpose working. And he wants to reform businesses. He can't form them in this country because we won't allow his workers in. <laughs> so he's going to form them in Spain. And he's like, but I want to start the business in a new way. I want to put God values in from the outset. And he'll have 28 employees starting a business um, with Ukrainians in Valencia. Um, built on values that are kingdom values, God values. Because Jesus is the light of the world who shines in the darkness. And folks, he's not a little candle, although sometimes he's kind enough to make the light not too bright for us. One day... You're going to encounter him and you'll realize he's more powerful and dazzling than the sun itself. He can blind you in an instant. But if you get face down before him, kneel before him now and say, my Lord and my God, when you see that light of the world, it will be warmth to you. It will be hope to you. It will be joy to you. It will be fulfillment of all your wishes ever. As C.S. Lewis will put it, it will be like the end of the introduction to the book of your life and the beginning of chapter one, the glorious book of your life that's yet to be written this is still term time the holidays are yet to begin and they're glorious and they're with Jesus and even in the darkest places that hope shines because he is with his people forevermore